Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I voted Republican for the first time, and here's why. A post from uh, a gentleman named Adam Coleman, who's... uh, black gentleman wrote a book called From Victim to Victor. On Sunday, for the first time in my life, I voted Republican, and I have a litany of reasons why. First, let me make clear I'm not a Republican, but an independent. Sort of Hmm. thought at least that, since you've never voted Republican before, that you weren't a Republican. It's okay. Come on over. Yeah. I'm a moderate American voter who wants to vote based on his principles instead of a political party's demands. However, I was a vote blue no matter who kind of moderate Democrat years ago. I don't recognize the Democrat Party anymore. The party I had used to support stood for liberal values like free speech and now pushes harder and harder for censorship. If you told me six years ago the official Democrat Party position, even echoed by a Democrat president, was that mutilating mutilating children is not only acceptable but desirable, and if you rejected, you're a bigot, I would have thought you were insane, yet here we are. When I was a Democrat, we knew that abortion was the ending of a life, but it was a matter of giving someone the uncomfortable choice to do so and not wanting the government to didn't not wanting the government to interfere. We didn't use language like clump of cells. We knew exactly what it was. Today, the pro-choice element of being on the left has gone into an extreme area of being pro-abortion. Mainstream Democrats like Stacey Abrams speak of abortion in such a disgustingly flippant manner. I can't support the worldview at all. When parents showed up at school board meetings because perversion was appearing in their children's school classrooms and libraries, the Democrats were doing everything possible to label concerned parents as bigots for doing exactly what a parent is supposed to do. It was with Democrat influence to even call these people domestic terrorists. Why? Because they don't want highly sexual books accessible to their children? When did sexualizing children become a political position? Why have Democrats made this the hill to die on? Uh Uh-huh. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You could also reach us via text at six four six three six. Type in DA then a quick comment. Mm-hmm. This is good. Yeah, um, he goes on. I would love to have two common sense viable political parties to fight over, but from my view, there is only one that is even remotely close to common sense. There is only one that isn't enforcing perversion on our children. I have no choice but to vote for them. Lastly, the people that want to infer that me being black, I shouldn't vote for a Republican, spare me. The Democrats are using black politicians to push some of these anti-natal and pro-sexualizing children rhetoric onto black people for a reason. I will continue to vote Republican until every pro-lockdown Democrat is out of office. I will continue to vote Republican until every pro-perversion Democrat is out of office. That is the only way Democrats can get rid of the stench. Oh, how about that? about that about right i mean we're seeing by the way uh 
a number of people that are in the middle uh, come to the same conclusions that Mr. Coleman has come to. You see that with the registration disparities in places like Pennsylvania and Florida. Florida, over several years, Pennsylvania, a move this election cycle. You see that in the where the momentum is in some of the public polling that has uh, Republicans starting to stretch out their generic ballot lead. I, I, I think you're tracking to see Republicans win about the same percentage of the popular vote that you saw them win in wave elections, wave midterm elections like 2010 to 1994. Now, the difference is they're starting from a higher base in terms of number of Republicans in Congress. So you may not get the 50 or 60 seats that you got in 94, 2010, but you may get to the same number of Republicans that you ended up having after 94 and 2010, right? You were in the 170s and 180s in those previous red wedding elections. You're, remember, Republicans start at 212 here. So you start from a higher base, you've got a lower ceiling. But nonetheless, the it's, it's trending to be similar in terms of... Uh, repudiation of the party in power and for a lot of the reasons that mr coleman suggested even though obviously it's economic issues that are dominating people's concerns for understandable reasons as they're being hurt and their economic security is being jeopardized but it it is those other issues that are so close to home and so visceral what's happening to my kids in school what happened to what's the fallout from the policies during COVID that maybe I wasn't fully appreciating at the time, but I'm more fully appreciating now. And he speaks to all of them. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro. My favorite line. part is when he said, sec- when did sexualizing our children become a political issue? That is so true. And the left is just running with it. By the way, um, the answer to that question is? Yeah. About 100 years ago. Okay. About 100 years ago with the left in the West. It's just they're more overt and aggressive about it. But when you have to break down the next barrier, you have to get more aggressive and overt about it. You think that the gay rights movement was just a debating society? No. It, it, as I've mentioned many times before, you look at the pincer movement of the gay rights the the pincer strategy of the gay rights movement. You had uh, sophisticated intellectuals like Andrew Sullivan making the same case that ACT UP activists were making by throwing condoms at churches, you know, on the altars of churches in New York City and so forth. So you had the radical element, and then you had the button-down element, and they were both arguing to the same end, the redefinition of marriage. And so, yeah, Um, go back to the Frankfurt School, uh, its advent in the 1920s, fast forward up to the 60s, fast forward up to the 90s, to the beginning of this century, to the Obergefell decision, and then the last decade where you move from the redefinition of marriage to the redefinition of sex itself. Yeah, that's how long it's been happening, the sexualizing of children. It's, it's You're on a continuum. And so now where are we? What's the next frontier now that uh, 
know. Mutilating children is uh, de rigueur. It's all courant. Marrying uh, your children? I don't know. What's next? Well, yeah, maps. Oh, that's right. Maps. I forget about that. My, minor attracted persons. So mainstreaming pedophile. Yeah. pedophile ma- mainstreaming pedophilia. It's on a continuum. These things are on a continuum. These are the same Marxists today as they were of yore. It's just they have a different barrier they have to destroy in terms of ending the relationship between parents and children. So the primary relationship in your life is between you and the state. And also what he said about, too, Stacey Abrams, you know, if you don't like high gas prices, get an abortion. Get rid of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. Right. You know, the the problem, it's it's always the problem. It's the same problem. You know what the problem is? The only stumbling block for the new Marxists to create heaven on earth is the people. You got to get rid of some of the people. Then everything will be better. Uh, Even CNN, by the way, is seeing this. um, The uh, intolerably smug Chris Klizza writing about this uh, polling done by CNN Biden's approval rating down, down to 42 percent, probably lower than that. CNN, you can uh, anticipate oversample Democrats in their polling. But even that can save, cannot save the Democrats and, and, and cannot mask where Biden currently finds himself. 61 percent of Americans say Biden hasn't paid enough attention to the most important problems facing the country. That's a bad out-of-touch number. 28 uh, percent say things are going very or fairly well. That means more than seven in 10 Americans think we're on the wrong track. Now, it's interesting because contrast that with um, the last poll I did in Illinois, where it was 48-52. So just like uh, Biden, at least, uh, you know, about 10 days ago, that's it's changing. It's a volatile environment. But 10 days ago, Biden's approval rating in Illinois was 25 percent higher than the national average. Oh, that's just sad. And, and, you know, we're, we're basically 50-50 right track, wrong track in the worst governed state in American history. And nationally, seven in 10 voters think the country's on the wrong track. Uh, it's just the yeah, Illinois is just tough. The Illinois is just so there's just so many who are so lost. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but uh, I, I will tell you that when. 75% of voters, of likely voters, say the economy is in recession, and they 61% say the president hasn't been focused on it. That is bad news for the party in power. I will tell you that. That's You don't need to be a political operative to understand that. Uh, Mike in Oak Forest, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, how you doing, guys? Uh, first of all, let me start by saying, you know, there's a lot of issues like crime and that that are important to me coming this election. But I was watching the TV the other day, and I seen the uh, commercial where the doctor is on the TV and the mother saying that uh, Republicans want to put us in jail if we perform abortions, which we all know is a lie because they can still do that. But I'm just wondering how come there haven't been any Republican commercials, you know, centered on the fact that Parents are losing custody of their children and uh, going to jail for not letting their child choose their own gender identity 
And, you know, that's even more important in my book, maybe more than crime, is the government trying to get directly involved in how I have to raise my child. Yeah, thanks for the call, Mike. There is a a group, uh, American Principles Project, that has been running ads in uh, key races, including uh, this one, including Bailey versus Pritzker, on the uh, trans uh, issue from boys playing girls sports to the sorts of issues that you're addressing. So there is a, 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 a independent expenditure pack, American Principles Project, that has been doing that, and they have played in the race here. But, you know, it's it's one of those things. You you can only run so many message tracks at, at, uh, at once. There's a good there's a couple of good wrap up ads I've seen. One is um, to to this point. Uh, one is from Restoration Pack, which is uh, Doug Truax, former Senate candidate in Illinois, and they're playing in Senate races and congressional races around the country. And they just sort of have they, they sort of have an America's out of control okay. summary. And so it just it sort of just goes from you know sort of the top three or four issues, including what uh, Mike and Oak Forrest is mentioning, and just says that, you know, this stuff is just generally out of control. And I think that does put put one's finger on the pulse of what some, at least some percentage of those 7 in 10 Americans are saying. Things are on the wrong track because they are just so over the top. They are just so beyond the pale on all of these issues, whether it comes to spending, whether it comes to uh, the COVID policy, Crime, obviously, the lawlessness they have allowed to take hold, uh, and certainly the interventions between uh, mom and dad and son or daughter. Yeah. Uh, so, so there has been some attempt to address these things sort of culturally in toto. Uh, Jim in Sheboygan. So I know exactly when the barrier was started to being pushed, and it was a month after gay marriage was approved by the Supreme Court. Um, I was arguing with my uh, youngest daughter and my wife, who were for gay marriage and gay marriage approval in front of the Supreme Court. I was arguing against it for a number of reasons, but a month later was the first I started hearing about transgenderism. And so, you know, I blame Roberts for that. But, um, yeah, it was exactly a month after the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage, and then all of a sudden transgenderism became the uh, the argument and the narrative and the uh, issue that, uh, that the Dems were pushing. Thanks for the call, Jim. Vince, St. Charles. Good morning, guys. I know the polls are trending, and you have to be uh, blind and deaf to not understand what's going on. But what happens if we fall short? <laughs> what happens? Fall short of, of what? what? And what which of, of the election. And what if we well, don't? Well, there's a lot of races. Like it should be. Or are close. Or just like like it would happen in New Jersey. The governor's race. He was close, but he didn't win. I mean, well, the house, the house is a mortal lock. So you're, that's a guarantee. I think the Senate is all but a guarantee. It's just a question of margin now. So I think you're going to see Congress flip. What happens if, if uh, I don't know, if, if there's a meteor strike and those things don't come to pass, particularly the House? Well, that, thanks for the call. Then, then the the next two years will be the the pedal being pressed to the metal from what you've seen the previous two years. The last two years, the next two years, if they were able to survive what they have done over the last two years— and retain control of 
both the House and the Senate, they would be emboldened to quadruple down on what they've been doing. So that's what would happen. In other words, it wouldn't be good. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. For the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Oh, no, I've done it again. I've angered the... Pritzker camp and the Democrat socialists in Illinois. What did you do now, Dan? Both of uh, the last two political ads that uh, my pack is running have uh, generated uh, vociferous responses from the Democrat socialists and, of course, their comm shop, the Chicago Press Corps. Uh, The first is uh, based on something that I think a lot of people remember um, we've played to refresh your recollection uh, a few weeks ago. We played. We reminded you of what Pritzker had to say on those FBI wiretaps of Bogoyevich back in the day about his own political ambitions and how he would like to pursue them uh, about who should replace Barack Obama in the United blacks, States Senate. Yeah, and what blacks are qualified. And uh, these tapes were unearthed only four years ago. Remember, we talked about this in the context of what happened at the L.A. City Council, where you had uh, the resignation of the city council president after intemperate remarks she made several years ago about blacks and others were revealed, and there was a hue and cry. It's a national story. But when Pritzker uses code language, not really that coded, like least offensive or sort of like qualify to talk about potential black candidates to replace Barack Obama. Well, that doesn't generate even attention here, barely, although it did at the time. It did at the time from Emil Jones, who he called crass and said that wouldn't be a good choice. Emil Jones saying he's showing you the other side of his face. I didn't call him a racist. He called himself a racist. That's what Emil Jones said. Tony Beal, Alderman Tony Beal. Who fancies himself an attorney? We'll get to that. Mm. 
uh, he uh, said at the time, we don't need this kind of leadership in Illinois, taking the black community, community for granted. So what did I do? I did a commercial reminding people of what everybody said. They said it on FBI wiretaps, in interviews. They offered to ABC7 in the case of Tony Beale. They said it. This is what they said and when they said it. And over the past four years, one would argue, as I have, and others, Beverly Miles, Charles Thomas, many residents, many black residents of Illinois, how have things improved? Has he done a make good for those racist comments he made in 2018? Well, let's see. 22% of black uh, third graders read at grade level. Only About half that do math at grade level. The unemployment rate in Chicago among blacks is two and a half times what it is whites. The promise for social equity with the cannabis licenses didn't materialize, a point that Charles Thomas has made in, also in commercials, and a point that resonates throughout the black community because they know what Pritzker promised and they know what he didn't deliver. Not to mention, of course, the endemic violent crime that Pritzker, Lightfoot, Fox has exacerbated, that, 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 that Troika has exacerbated because of what they've chosen to do in Cook County and what they've instituted as law in the state. So here's the ad. It starts out with uh, Pritzker dancing to his favorite song. Because I'm fat, fat, I'm fat. I'm not exactly sure if that was the theme music. Uh, th- that was the music he was oh, actually dancing to. That is his theme music, though. Okay. That is his walk-up music. Well, it, it, was, it was when he was on stage dancing with the lieutenant governor and others after the Chicago Sky Dan won the title. I remember, remember like the it was yesterday. <laughs> you got so, your T-shirt, right? So, so you have to envision that mass of life <laughs> dancing on a stage. That's how the commercial opens, and then everybody speaks for themselves. What's more painful than watching this? <laughs> Hearing what Pritzker says about black elected officials when he thinks no one is listening. Newly released FBI recording of Democratic gubernatorial candidate J.B. Pritzker is causing a deep split in the African-American community. Of all the African-Americans I can think that are sort of like qualified, as least offensive, is Jesse Lee. a little more crass. This is a slap in our face, taking our community for granted. This is not the kind of leadership that we need at this time. Punish Pritzker for his racism. He doesn't like being called a racist, Dan. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six da turnkey dot pro text line. Right, he doesn't like to be uh, to be outed as a racist. He said those things. Yep. What he does is he likes to call people racists in lieu of an argument, which a lot on the left like to do. As far as Tony Beal, that's what you heard him at the end. That's Tony Beal. That's what he said. Right. But now he's changed his tune. Of course he has. He's back on the plantation. Isn't he? Pro, he? He Prophet didn't gain my permission or consent to use my image or words. He took a sentence said years ago out of context. It wasn't out of context. That's what he said in direct response to what Pritzker said. That is context. But OK. It's the actual news story. OK. He said he sends out of context. Here's a crass attempt to diminish the vote for Governor Pritzker by implying I am critical of the governor. Well, you, you were critical of the governor. Uh, he goes on to say, didn't uh, ask my permission to appear in this ad. I would have unequivocally refused. I will be pursuing all legal remedies available. That's pretty funny for a guy who fancy wanted to be a state's attorney, wants to be a judge, 
wants to level up, which, of course, is why he's back on the plantation. He doesn't want to just be a lowly alderman. But as usual, uh, this alderman, like so many others, are on the wrong side of the law, even though he's a lawyer. Um, Point of order, as anyone will tell you, Tony, I don't need your permission to use your image or likeness or words. You put yourself in the public domain when you chose to speak to ABC7 and you chose to say the words that you said. That's fair use, buddy. So you pursue all your legal remedies, hotshot. That's a secondary legal issue, but I just want you to understand how... um, Hmm. How it what's, works. What's, well, what's the word? Because I think part of this is contrived. I think Beale probably knows this. So I think it's probably contrived and, and a bit performative. But um, He's they, just they don't to save they don't, face. Yeah, they, exactly. They don't care. They don't care about the, oh, the law and I was, I, I'm wronged and so on and so forth. Don't hold me accountable for what I said. Uh, so did you not believe it then? Or what has happened in the intervening four years to change your mind, Tony. I've worked with the governor now. Oh, have you? Doing did, what? Did he say that? That's what he said. Oh, I've worked with him now. Oh, I've worked with the governor. He's a friend. And then Jesse White dutifully uh, stood up and said the same thing, just like he did four years ago because he's a company man. Whatever. I don't care. They can have their say. They, could, they had their say then. They can have their say now. What you can't do is unring what JB said and what you know, what every person knows he meant, sort of like qualified. It's actually embarrassing and sad that Jesse White went to bat for him then and continues to go to bat for him when he thinks so little of Jesse White. That's how little, I guess, a lot of these dem politicians think of themselves relative to keeping up appearances, cashing their checks and how little they think of you by extension. I mean, you know, somebody in Pritzker's office got to both of them and said, you need to comment right now. Absolutely. You need to demand that he take that ad down today. And and Pritzker has sent a cease and desist letter to all the TV stations. Oh, again? Of course he has. Oh, my God. Of course he has. Stop. He's so insecure. Of course he has. Well, I I don't want to be held accountable. Well, for what I said, when when I showed you who I actually am in private conversations where I'm dividing up the world and pursuing my own political ambitions. But that that's you know, we're supposed to forget about that because, you know, it was raised in 2018 and it was largely muted because the race was not competitive and people were lining up to you know measure the drapes and secure their positions and so on and so forth. Well, no, doesn't work that way. So we'll see. We'll see what the stations do. I don't think they find uh, these guys credible and I don't think, and there's no argument for them to take it down. It's their words. Right. They chose to offer. Reco- he chose to be interviewed. Yes. And when you make that decision and you're a public figure, you reap what you sow. Now, in addition to that, we've got the other TV spot running. Uh, This is Gene Cable, who you heard us interview uh, this week. Uh, She is the niece of Sergeant James Severn, one of the two police officers who was assassinated in Cabrini-Green in 1970. And one of the killers of those two police officers, Severn and Rosado, was paroled last year paroled last year so she explained in detail um her fan the story of her uncle 
and Anthony Rosado and all that the both both the families have done over the last 50 years to make sure that cop killers that are put behind bars stay behind bars where they belong. And she she and the other family, the Rosado family, blame Pritzker and Lightfoot and Fox for the release of the the these the, the these cop well one cop killer has been released and the next one the other right. one will be next year if Pritzker's reelected she that's what she believes and the parole board for for 40 years never had one vote to release from the Illinois parole board and then all of a sudden it was 8 to 4 to release to release and yes. what was the difference the difference was Pritzker Lightfoot and Fox, because for until Pritzker and Lightfoot and Fox came to town, she and their families, cops families, had support of mayors, county states attorneys and governors, Republicans and Democrats. Well, only Democrats in the case of the mayors, but Cook County states attorneys, governors, Republicans and Democrats and mayors for four decades. They always had somebody with from the Cook County state's attorney's office with them. And then Kim Fox said, we're no longer going to be helping you. We're no longer beginning. We're no longer no. going to help cops' families when it comes to the process of keeping people who've hurt or murdered cops behind bars. I mean, these were snipers and, who were firing so much, Dan, that they wouldn't even let rescue um, rescue crews come and get their bodies. And then, and then Lightfoot and Pritzker followed suit. Gene Cable recounting how they did not get any support from any of those offices, any of those individuals, the way they had previously throughout the many decades. So now Pritzker's up with an ad where he folds what Gene Cable had to say into the same accusations he is making against the newspapers, that they're fake news, that they're 100% lies, and so on and so forth. Still waiting for somebody to point to one story in one of the papers that is inaccurate, that contains misinformation, that is not substantiated. Still waiting, but they don't. it doesn't matter. Just like they get to call everybody a racist— they just said to say anybody who disagrees with them is a liar, it's a fear monger, it's fake news. Okay, well, now he's attacking the uh, niece of a fallen police officer in his latest ad. A viral snowstorm of misinformation online. Fake newspapers spreading lies to Illinois voters. Darren Bailey and his allies incessantly spreading myths and obvious falsehoods. And now, this outrageous TV ad that should insult us all. The truth is the governor can't parole anyone. The ad is 100% false. An entire campaign trying to scare you. Mm-hmm. 100% false? Really? So he's calling Gene Cable a liar now. Right. And the, and the families of the Severin and Rosado families, they're liars now. Because you have this you know, intermediary body that are filled with gubernatorial appointees that released a cop killer. He didn't actually do it by executive order. He did it through the appointees to the state parole board. He is responsible. That's the definition of responsibility, actually. Your personnel. Personnel is policy. The personnel choices he made were the proximate cause of the release of a cop killer. This is not confusing. 100% false. So this morning, we're going to have a Zoom press conference with Gene Cable to respond to that uh, smear by Pritzker. And we'll see uh, uh, how many of the phony fake news reporters from the fake news outlets in Chicago will deign to consider 
the truth of what the, the Severin and Rosado families actually experienced over five decades, the historical perspective they have on working with state's attorneys and mayors and governors so they can compare and contrast what is happening now under the troika we just mentioned versus what happened under previous governors and mayors and Cook County state's attorneys. That's where this campaign is at. This is a bad dude, J.B. Pritzker I'm talking about. He is a bad person. I don't just disagree with him on policy issues like I disagree with some Democrats. I don't just find uh, him hapless like many Democrats or not particularly bright, so they go along and it's just, they just want to protect their sinecure and they're just part of they're just a cog in the wheel. I get all that. That is least, less offensive, much less offensive than J.B. Pritzker who is a bad dude with dark motivations, who uses other people as means to his political ends. Always. That's Always. not once in a while. That is the modus operandi of this guy. He's a bad human being. And he, and he never sh- has suffered through the same hardships as the people in Illinois have. Because there was different rules for him and his family during the whole COVID. I, somebody texted me yesterday and said, remember that time when you told him they're having basketball tryouts today in California, and I showed him a map. And the only two states that were playing basketball was New York and Illinois. And he's like, well, we're saving lives. I'm like, shut up. I, I just People cannot forget what he did to our children in the state. Please, how could you vote for him? I don't care about abortion inflation. That, just because of that, what he did to your kids, life experiences that they could never, ever get back. Seasons canceled, scholarships lost, mental derangement. I mean, my God, alcohol deaths went up 30% because people were trapped and locked in their homes. And don't, don't forget it. Don't give him a pass. My God. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773 or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, presidential historian, air quotes, Michael Beschloss was on with uh, Chris Hayes or Rachel Maddow. I always get the two confused. Maybe the same person on MSNBC talking about what may befall our nation 
if Republicans gain control of the Congress on Tuesday? A historian 50 years from now, if historians are allowed to write in this country, and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which, which I'm not certain of, but if that is true, a historian will say what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. Arrested? Are children arrested and killed if, if Republicans win? We're on the uh, precipice of a brutal authoritarian system. It could be a week away, so that necessarily he means he's talking about a change in power at the legislative level. Well, authoritarian regimes uh, usually need the executive, so I don't know how that's a week away. I mean, even if you accept the premise, which of course I don't, it's laughable. He's completely hysterical. Full-blown crazy. But this is what the left has to offer. By the way, uh, authoritarian, I don't know if historians will be allowed to publish. You, you mean like James Bennett? Michael Beschloss, you know, the former op-ed editor of The New York Times, who was fired for daring to allow a Tom Cotton op-ed onto the hallowed pages of The Grey Lady. Is that the sort of censorious state and and uh, institutions that you're worried about? I mean, where, where is censorship coming from? Saying that my kid shouldn't be exposed to graphic sexual information in the primary grades, that's not censorship. Nobody's talking about burning books or banning books or preventing even perversion from being published. That's different than imposing it on a first grader. (laughs) They don't see the difference. And you've got other... Uh, hysterics engaged in similar histrionics. Good piece by Kim Strassel, as per usual in uh, the Wall Street Journal. Barack Obama telling an Arizona rally this week, democracy may not survive. Not an exaggeration. I know. Uh, Of the Atlantic's Tom Nichols tweeted, the United States is facing the greatest danger to its constitutional system since at least the 1950s, if not the 1850s. And millions of people are like, yeah, but gas, man. Uh-huh. I got to tell you, Biden's speech that he gave at the reunion station, it was 20 minutes long. I stopped counting the number of times he said democracy, attack on our democracy. I stopped at 37. That's what what, what are democracies under attack? What, what? What are you talking? There's voter suppression going on. Where? Today in Chicago, we're going to have, <clears throat> ready for this, media advisory. Chicago Police Department is going to join the Chicago Board of Elections and the Cook County State's Attorney, <clears throat> excuse me, to discuss public safety ahead of, of Election Day. What does that mean? We, the elections aren't safe? Uh-huh. We're going to have a big press conference on that? Yeah, okay. I, I, I want to be lectured by Cook County officials on free and fair elections. Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, good. Kim Strassel. For those counting, this is the fourth cycle Democrats have made histrionic claims of, ex- of external threat, internal menace, and political demise. Trump became their foil, and no claim about him or his supporters became too absurd. Collusion with Russia, institutions crumbling, rule of law gone, climate melting down, nations coming to nationalists, racists, misogynists, phobes of all kinds, voter suppression, minority tyranny, insurrection. 
Along the way, the left can join its agenda with the saving of humanity. If you want to rescue democracy, kill the filibuster, end oil, put the feds in charge of voting, censor disinformation, raise taxes, forgive debt, expand entitlements, and celebrate Disney's light year. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is essentially the value proposition of the Democrats. Obviously, she huh, presents it, it in a satirical way, but it's not, it's not parody. That's literally what they're saying. And then Every at, single day. And Stacey Abrams, who's, a, you know, the new ref- election reform laws, Jim Crow 2.0. And now she's, you know, on TV celebrating the early turnout among black voters in Georgia. Oh, I, well, pick pick a side, woman. And so Kim Strassel's point is to say, so, yeah, gas, man. Yeah, but gas and groceries and the basics of personal safety and economic security. Yeah, non-dramatic. You can... Do all of your melodramatic intonations, but uh, it's all dismissed, at least by the sane and the commonsensical non-dramatic election in reaction to this hysteria from the left. Ridiculous, which is in part to paper over their authoritarian impulses. As and which are manifest, by the way, in policies, both promoted and advanced. Um, and so it's not just gas man. It's this this other thing you talk about. Oh, you know, the suburbs and uh, parts of the city, the crime doesn't matter. You know, it's a, a low risk of being a victim of violent crime and so yeah. on and so forth. OK, well, um, this is where the lack of public safety starts to impact people even if you haven't been impacted by being the victim of a crime where businesses choose to locate or choose to stay. How about this memo to insurance agents from Progressive? Please be aware that we've adjusted vehicle acceptability in select Illinois zip codes. Specifically, due to increased instances of vehicle thefts, We may not be able to provide a quote for the highest-risk vehicles in certain Chicago area zip codes. Wow. If you attempt to quote effective vehicles, you'll receive a message in the quote flow that based on the vehicle information provided, we're unable to offer the applicant a policy at this time due to high theft rates in the applicant's geographic location and so on and so forth. Not even progressive insurance can help. Progressive insurance. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for the calls that, that progressive is redlining. Minority residents in the city of Chicago. Can't wait for those calls. Next. That's the result. So now the law abiding in neighborhoods that have been turned over to the criminal element are going to have problems getting insurance on their vehicles. Wow. Which is, of course, required by law. So now because you turn over the streets to the lawless, you... uh, push the law abiding into a position of lawlessness or in a, in a position into a position of of being uh, in violation of the law. And, and oh, I know that's not Naperville. Uh, that's not Downers Grove. OK, well, you know, turn uh, you know, a few hundred criminals out of DuPage County Jail and we'll see. We'll see how long it takes. Tom, Blue Island. 
Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Happy Friday. Uh, the point I wanted to make, Dan, is that the other day in his knucklehead speech, Biden said that it could take days or weeks to find out the final tallies of the uh, some of these close elections. And if these scumbies think that we're going to go through another election cycle where Republican candidates are winning, and it, for me, especially talking about Trump, where they have big leads and those leads are dwindled slowly until they become small deficits so they can declare their candidate the winner, uh, that just ain't going to fly, Dan. Well, get ready for it. I mean, a lot of they don't start counting mail in ballots until the elect, until the polls close. In some states. In some states, right. Kyle, Hanover Park. Good morning and uh, happy last Friday of uh, democracy, apparently. Uh, I just wanted to touch base on the MSNBC clip where literally everything you say, you could pause and play a million instances of how it's a mirrored effect. Everything they say they're doing, it's it's astounding listening to them speak sometimes. They use our words, but they don't use our uh, dictionary. It's... It makes you want to drink. But anyway, happy Friday, <laughs> and you could do that after your shift. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thanks or for the during, call, Or during, yes, thank you. Uh, it, it's a, that's a great uh, turn of a phrase, too. Um, they use our words but not our dictionary. Yeah, exactly. Tom and uh, Oswego. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I, you know, we, we have a lot of issues in front of us right now. Crime, this is election chaos, um, you know, inflation. But I think the biggest issue we're going to have moving forward is that a lot of a lot of people aren't well. I guess they're talking about it, but they don't understand the impact. Is this? And I, I'll call it an invasion in our southern border. If you if you read about it, and I'm I'm personally involved because of where my daughter lives, and, and I know what's going on. It is a disaster. What's going to happen to this country? Give it about five years. In the last what two? We have five million coming into our country that we don't know who they are where they're at who's supporting these people and again i'm not degrading the people i understand why they want to come here but we need some process and right now we don't have that so inflation can come down that could be fixed crime we could start locking people up and you know that could slowly come down we can solve some of those issues election systems we can maybe work on that but this is going to be a problem that is going to bite us in the you-know-what. And it's going to yeah. happen soon, and everyone's going to be wondering what happened. And I'm, I put me on the record right now, in five years, if, if God willing, I'm still alive. It's going to become a monumental problem in our schools, in housing. It's, it's just going to become a problem. That's thanks, what... for, thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate it. Jordan in Antioch. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. Hey, uh, you know, over the last four or five months, I've just taken a whole new, whole new way of, of listening to these guys, even though I don't want to. But everything that they do is projectionism, and they're they're fluent in it, and and that's how I look at it. So when when Biden has his speech and he talks about there's going to be you know political violence, yes, we understand. If the Republicans win, you are going to burn our cities. We get that. And when this other clod talks about. Uh, killing kids and and, and 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 this yes we understand if we vote you in that is exactly what we're going to get i understand that gazelle what's her name fetterman when she was talking about the statistics and i'm surprised nobody picked up on this and they, i'm being snarky when she talked
talk about the statistics of black kids drowning in pools. She wasn't talking about giving, you know, black kids and the numbers are up. She was saying we need more pools to drown more black kids, just like we need more abortions. These people are sick, and they're projectionists, and that's just how you have to look at them. They're telling you exactly what they're going to do, and like your fellow said before that, they're using our words but not our dictionary. So when they speak, just understand they're telling you what they're going to do to you. That's all. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Jordan. You know, um, there's a good piece by uh, a think tanker on the New Hampshire Senate race in the journal today as well. Uh, This uh, retired Brigadier General, Don Bolduc, taking on Maggie Hassan, and uh, it's now a dead heat. Actually, some of the recent polls have him slightly up, despite being outspent like $36 million to two in New Hampshire. This is one of those candidates that uh, Democrats spent money on in the primary because they wanted him versus a more moderate alternative. Well, you know, as we talked about, okay, well, be careful what you wish for. We'll see. And one of the things that uh, the author, Andrew Klein, writes about Maggie Hassan uh, as compared to Boldick, Boldick's military, and he you know, just exudes military. And she is a creature of, she may be from New Hampshire, but she's a creature of D.C. He speaks in plain terms and on the issues that are driving people's concerns as they think about who they're going to vote for. And as he writes, Hassan, by contrast, has a public persona that screams political establishment. She doesn't release her public schedule, hasn't had an open press conference in years, and studiously avoids engaging with anyone who isn't screened by her staff. She's agreed, she had agreed to a debate hosted by the Nashua Chamber of Commerce, then said she would attend only if she and Mr. Boldick weren't on stage together. Oh my God. <laughs> what kind of debate is that? What? what, what? She, Behind she, a private room? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, and, and he has a great phrase on her, too, because this fits so many of these politicians. He says of Magnuson. Every statement seems painstakingly crafted to mystify rather than clarify. Exactly. And Boldick, by contrast, is plain spoken to a fault. And what he, what they're seeing in New Hampshire, at least according to this accounting of it, and the polls seem to back it up, pretty good evidence, the, demand, the desire for an outsider, desire for somebody who is not of the D.C., disposition by the way uh on beschlos michael beschlos the historian who you know we're a week away from a brutal authoritarian regime of some sort somehow mm-hmm. guess where he's from where i forgot to mention where flossmore oh of course he's idea. from flossmore of course he's from chicagoland and uh yeah, then then he went to andover and, and harvard of course, only somebody who is as well-bred as Michael Beschloss could believe such silly things. Frank and Arlene, and by the way, I use sort of well-bred in quotation marks. I hope people, you know, got the tongue-in-cheek. Frank in Arlington Heights. Good morning. Yeah, I gave away all the books I had by Michael Beschloss and uh, John Meacham. Maybe I yeah. should have kept them just in a certain part of my house so that nobody else could read them because they're so bad. Um. Anyway, you know, one of your other callers had said that, you know, we could fix the immigration issue, we could fix the crime issue, we could fix inflation, or we could fix inflation and the crime. 
We, what we can't fix is the nihilism that is in the Democrats, many of the Democrats' hearts. That is something that the only thing that's going to fix that is, is 20 to 25 years in the political wilderness for them, where they absolutely get destroyed in the election. And I mean blown out by epic proportions in this election in the 2024. If you look historically, the Republicans in the 1930s, they held something like 70 seats in the House, and they had maybe 15 in the Senate. And, uh, you know, they changed as a party, arguably for the worse. But um, that's the kind of political shellacking that the Democrats are going to need for, for the leadership of their party to change. Because, as Victor Davis Hanson said in his article the other day, we're being led by a, I'm paraphrasing him, we have nihilists that we've been turned over to. No question about it. Thanks for the call, Frank. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. See Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy in uh, Chicagoland. First, Republicans lost the North Shore. Then they lost to the South Suburbs. Then they lost the Northwest Cook Suburbs. Then they lost the Collar Counties. This is why you have one-party rule in, in Illinois, because Republicans haven't been competitive, much less victorious, in the suburbs than they need to be. One bellwether race for Illinois with respect to Republican performance in the suburbs, is in Northwest Cook County. The incumbent is uh, State Rep. Mark Walker. His challenger is Jack Vrett, who is a uh, former military, JAG Corps officer, prosecutor. Uh, he worked at DOD. He worked, actually, as Deputy General Counsel at CMS, Central Management Services for the state as well. And... Uh, he is running against Mark Walker. If he can win in Arlington Heights, then maybe we will see at least some of that red wave the rest of the country is experiencing visits, the shores of Illinois, if you will. Jack Vrett, uh, com. V-R-E-T-T is the last name. V is in Victor, R-E-T-T, com is the site. Jack, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, I understand uh, the governor was in town to be carted around by Mark to introduce himself to businesses whose lives he has made miserable in Arlington Heights. How did that go? You know what? It's interesting. They were there downtown. Uh, I think they visited a few businesses. and they're, they're quality businesses, but myself and my volunteers, we were knocking on doors, talking to actual voters, talking about re- talking to the residents about the issues that they care about. And and the reception that you're getting uh, when you're knocking on those doors, what are people talking about? What do they have to say about the governor? What do they have to say about his minions like Mark Walker? Oh, so, you know, it's people at the doors. They are talking about what you'd expect. It's they're talking about the economy. They're talking about taxes. They're talking about inflation um, and crime. Um, crime for a long time felt hypothetical to a lot of people, but it has become real. Um, not just because of what you're seeing on TV, but because of what they're seeing in their own neighborhoods, um, that there is a spike in crime. Um, in some areas, people, when I knock on their doors, they talk about how 
all the neighbors, they all share their ring doorbell um, videos because they see it at night on their ring doorbells. They see who's in their neighborhoods. And so when uh, people like uh, Governor Pritzker or Mark Walker say that, oh, crime's not that bad, and technically if you look at the statistics, it's, it's not as bad as it used to be, it is, the, it is the example of being out of touch. When you try to tell someone, based on statistics, your lived experience isn't real, that what you're going through every single day um, doesn't matter. Um, and it, it really has been the blunder of all blunders, um, the strategy they've been using to try and tell people that their concerns are, are, are not valid. Well, let's talk about House Bill 3447 and how that inspired you to get into the race. Sure. So this is a bill uh, that not a lot of other folks have been talking about, um, but this is something that Mark Walker sponsored. This is a bill um, that uh, lowers criminal penalties for the possession of hard drugs. Uh, And it's part of this sort of woke uh, Kim Fox criminal justice reform um, that a lot of these super progressive out of touch Democrats are pushing right now. And it what it does is it says that if you it changes the penalty for possession of fentanyl from if you possess less than three grams makes it instead of a felony it's a class a misdemeanor and a lot of people don't know what three grams of fentanyl is everyone knows fentanyl is bad it is now the leading cause of death uh, for americans aged 18 to 45 according to the drug enforcement administration Um, and fentanyl poisoning is on the rise even in the northwest suburbs but what they do is three grams of it that's that contains thousands of doses, and it's strong enough to kill 1,500 people. So we're talking about drug dealer quantities of this drug. And Mark Walker sponsored legislation and voted for it to drop the penalty of this from a felony to a Class A misdemeanor, which for comparison purposes makes it the equivalent of possession of alcohol by a minor. So when I'm talking about people, you know, residents concerned that Mark Walker and the Fox Walker Pritzker agenda being out of touch with the concerns of real everyday Americans, that is the best example. No one thinks that you you <laughs> you would want that amount of, of that drug on our streets, and especially when it's just pouring through our, our southern borders and it's impacting um, uh, our communities. Well, even if he was being charged with a felony uh, for, you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, as you said, drug dealer level quantities of fentanyl. Even if he was, uh, he walks anyway under the Safety Act, under Pritzker's Purge right. Law. And this is what we're talking about uh, when right. it comes to, you know, sort of nonviolent crime. So, for example, uh, CWB Chicago reporting, Chicago man went on a weeks-long significant crime spree, quote-unquote, <laughs> across the north side while on bail for a felony narcotics case. Uh, is charged with 10 felonies, including the vehicular hijacking of a senior citizen, mm-hmm. burglaries and robberies. While he was on bail, which would go away for a felony narcotics case. So it's not just the idea of fentanyl being bad in and of itself and then somebody having drug dealer level quantities of that drug or any other illegal drug. But then it's also you turn them back out because, hey, this is a nonviolent offense and pretend you have no context on the offender you're talking about and what they what they may also be willing to do if they're right. allowed to roam the streets and you have stories like this. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we a lot of people talk about the Safety Act. When I talk to voters about the Safety Act, I try to talk about it from the perspective of uh, as a as a prosecutor um, and how I learned to prosecute cases and from the perspective of a prosecutor. And when you read the Safety Act, there are so many technical errors in it, even if even if someone said, oh, it's good policy, even if it was good policy. And I don't I. I vehemently disagree with the policy ideas behind it. But if 
the, the bill is so bad. It is unworkable from a criminal prosecution perspective. The, the, the way that they say that, that a prosecutor has to prove by clear and convincing evidence this, that, the, that the, the offender poses a specific real present threat to another person is just completely unworkable. And, you know, you see um, uh, Speaker Welch and others saying, oh, well, you know what, this, the Safety Act just allows judge to, judges to decide. Well, they can only get to that decision if the prosecutor can make the case. And the Safety Act makes it effectively impossible for the prosecutor to ever make the case. So they're they're being incredibly misleading when they're trying to save themselves during this election by changing, uh, by pretending the words in the Safety Act say something different than what they do. Oh, they're uh, they're saying things that are 180 degrees opposite what the black letter right. of the law says. I mean, in addition to that, on this matter of judicial discretion, there's no judicial right. discretion to the 90 day clock that prosecutors are on to bring right. a case to trial or a, somebody who is detained can walk. Um, actually, they will walk, barring, again, a motion, clear and convincing evidence, specific threat to specific individuals. Uh, to to continue to detain them 90 days and and you talk to prosecutors complicated murder cases think about the highland park shooting complicated murder cases multiple murder cases uh it takes more than 90 days to put a competent case together in many instances and you're jeopardizing even the hardened even hardened criminals who are able to be detained under this safety act you're jeopardizing their continued detention because of that 90-day clock, which is something else that the Welches and the Pritzkers of the world don't want to address. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Now, and, uh, oh, sorry, go on, Dan. No, go ahead. Jim. Well, I wanted to get back to the fentanyl and the reason why, one of the reasons why you joined the race is because your father was affected by oh, it. And you're yes. so sick of just, it's, it's, it's a tyranny that we're living in. Right, right. It's, um, it's a, it's, it's a matter personal to me. Uh, my father, um, he was an, a, a wonderful man. He was a teacher, um, an award-winning public school teacher, and um, he had uh, some back problems and neck problems. And after neck and back surgery, he was prescribed with prescription fentanyl. And um, unfortunately, like so many others, became addicted to it. Um, it was prescription, but he became addicted to it. It uh, devastated his life, uh, ruined our family in a by many respects. Um, and then ultimately it changed the course of his life forever. And ultimately he passed away, um, in January of 2020. And, um, it, it's just outrageous. You know, I saw what fentanyl did to my family. And then you, there are so many other examples, even in the district, um, in the Northwest suburbs. Um, if you talk to law enforcement officers or the emergency, uh, uh, the paramedics, they're dealing with this constantly in the northwest suburbs, this fentanyl overdose, this poisoning, because it's not, you know, with the, the, the drug dealers, they, they use it like spice or something to try and make something seem like it's not. It's been explained to me that in some of these bars and, and, um, and clubs throughout the, the suburbs, um, someone will, a drug dealer will try and sell a pill and say it's X, Y, Z, but it's really not that. It could be a Tums or something else, but they sprinkle some random amount of fentanyl on top of it to try and make it uh, uh, more potent. And that's how all these people are dying from it. Um, so it, it's horrible. And um, it, again, it, it's it's one of the reasons that's inspired me to take this fight against Mark Walker, because he runs around town pretending to be this common sense, moderate 
Democrat, kind of your your old Reagan Democrat style. Um, but he's absolutely not. When you actually look at his voting record and when you look at the things that he sponsors, who in their right mind would sponsor something to put more fentanyl, the most dangerous drug on the streets, to say there should be more of it, right? I mean, we can all agree that people that are suffering from addiction need treatment and not not uh, prosecution and, and jail time. But that's not what this bill does, you know, and it just it I think it comes from the fact that these so many of these Democrats in the supermajority, because they're in the supermajority, they don't have to think about the legislation. And because there's a supermajority, they don't have to worry about getting any moderate Republican or common sense Republican to join them on a bipartisan bill. And because of that, they can just pass whatever they want. And then you don't have this sort of conflict or competition of ideas to make something better. Right. Um, and that's what I know. We, we talk about the red wave and I hope that the red wave happens. But here in Illinois, if we just got a few more votes in the General Assembly for common sense, that would change everything. Like the Safety Act passed by one vote. If Mark Walker had voted no, it wouldn't be on the books. All we need is a few more voices of common sense reason in the General Assembly, and it is an absolute game changer for the state of Illinois. He is Jack Vratt. He is uh, one of those po- possible voices of reason if uh, the voters in Arlington Heights and Northwest Suburban Cook are so enlightened. Jack Vratt, jackvratt.com is the website, Republican candidate for state rep on the ballot on Tuesday if you're up Northwest. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey top pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, you want to know what the intersection of a mental disorder and a social contagion produces? Norwegian man now identifies as a disabled woman, uses a wheelchair all the time. Norwegian man who is also a woman, right, because he's identifying as a disabled woman. 53-year-old Norwegian man, able-bodied, now identifies as a disabled woman. He's always wished he had been born a woman who was paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, come. This is that he should be in the hospital. Sorry. In addition to gender dysphoria, he claims to have a body integrity disorder, creating a dissonance between how he perceives himself and how his body functions. I've struggled with this every day my whole life. It's a cognitive dissonance. In the same way that I'm experiencing being a woman in a man's body, I experience that I should have been paralyzed from the waist down. It's not a desire to be a burden on society. It's about the wheelchair being an aid for me to function in everyday life, both privately and at work. And, of course, he's being feted by the Norwegian press. Courageous. They're celebrating him, right? Doing feature stories on him. Well, and then there's the detransitioners, those young people coming forward with really tragic stories, feel awful for them, and you feel incensed at those who led them down this primrose path. Recently, the Florida Medical Board held a hearing in Orlando to talk about the banning on puberty blockers under a certain age. 
you know, you're of, we're, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about kids, mutilating kids, taking kids down a path of destruction. You're uh, of age, you know, past the age of consent, and you can make your own choices. That's fine. Listen to uh, what uh, this young woman had to say about the choices she made and the impact they had. At 13, I started taking puberty blockers and testosterone. And at 15, I underwent a double mastectomy in which my breasts were removed and my nipples were grafted. Ooh. And yet at 16, after years of medically transitioning, I came to realize I severely regretted my transition. It has been over a year since my last testosterone injection. During my diagnosis for dysphoria and the consultations for these treatments, the overall picture of my life just went completely unaddressed. From a young age, I was actually quite a very feminine girl, although I did somewhat model myself after my older brothers. Up until my transition, I had relatively normal levels of teen distress, but my early exposure to social media and the internet led to my, my body image worsening. I was introduced to inappropriate content and an echo chamber of far-left ideology, such as that sex and gender are separate, women are inherently victims, men are inherently superior in every way, and that dysphoric children need hormones and surgeries in order to live. These reductive ideologies have crept their way into science and, by extension, medicine. I unknowingly gave my mind and eventually my body to an anti-science movement that reduces womanhood to long hair, Barbie dolls, dresses, and false self-perception. I actually developed more psychiatric issues the further I went into transition. I was on the verge of suicide for nearly all of high school. Some things went undiagnosed for years until after I stopped transitioning, like autism and body dysmorphia. All the talk about mental health, self-perception, pronouns, and ideology leads me to the, to the question, why is a mental health epidemic not being addressed with mental health treatment to get at the root causes for why female adolescents like me want to reject their bodies? I was not suicidal before going on hormones, and yet doctors asked my parents the question, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? This is not how medical professionals are supposed to talk. This is how activists talk. What was the cost of treating mental health with barbaric surgeries? I have bandages on my chest today, over two years post-op because my nipples leak fluid and they stain my clothes. I have no breasts. I want to be a mother someday, and yet I can never naturally feed my children, my future children. My breasts were beautiful, and now they have been incinerated for nothing. Thank you, modern medicine. For more on this topic, Carmel Richardson joins us now, contributing editor at the American Conservative. She's re recently written a piece, Boys Just Want to Be Girls, and vice versa, I suppose. Carmel Richardson, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, how do you react to uh, what you heard from that young lady addressing the Florida Medical Board? Yeah, it's, it's pretty distressing. So, I mean, the whole issue is at the root of it. It's a very depressing thing that we're seeing. And the fact that so many young men and women are being given these hormones at such a young age, you know, before, before they can really think about this decision, think about what they're being handed. Um, I, think, I think that is it's truly sad beyond, you know, obviously political implications and all else. And the, oh. and the state interceding. I mean, the, the reason I think uh, parents are not, in, in, at least in some cases, are not intervening more aggressively is because the state intervenes and says, you better uh, affirm whatever your kid is saying or we'll take your kid away, as has happened in Indiana recently. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So there's a real fear of, from parents that if they do not capitulate, if they don't comply with what's happening to their children, that a lot of times the teachers 
are encouraging and helping the children while they're in public school. Um, and so parents feel, you know, that they're completely outnumbered and, and they would rather keep their child than have them taken away by child protective services. But, you know, at, at what cost? Well, how did it get to this? I mean, do you have any answers? <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I I don't know the whole story. I think that there are a couple obvious things that stick out to me. And, and what I wrote about is that, you know, with the rise of feminism and the changing sexual mores out of the 60s, what we're seeing is women are now actually, you know, kind of praised and honored in a way that they have not been previously throughout history. And, you know, some of this is good, right? We want, um, we want to view women with respect, but there is a level to which women are now, um, basically, they, women can do no wrong. Um, and we know this, we see it on, online, on social media, when a mom complains about her life, um, she, all she gets is praised from the other women and men in the room saying, oh, yes, this poor martyr, you know, she has it really tough. If a woman does not succeed in her industry, it's blamed on sexism. If, um, you know, a girl decides that she wants to be transgender, it's usually viewed as like an empowerment thing as a woman even. And so it's, it's a bizarre thing, but, you know, I think the shakeout of that is that men are seeing this and we know that masculinity has been devalued in the last decade, especially. Um, and so to me, it just seems obvious, like there are some real um, factors at play here that make, are making men say, wait a minute, why am I not taking advantage of this? Well, uh, it's interesting because you, you write about this, you know, sort of the, the, the going from male to female has more cachet, social status, and perhaps even financial opportunities. This is what's at bar in a fight right now that's spilled out into the tabloids between Dwayne Way, the Hall of Fame NBA basketball player, and his ex-wife over the transition of their son to a teenage son, son to a daughter. And his ex-wife claims that part of this is financial in nature why he's pushing it or or supporting it that she's got well he as a she has modeling contracts and opportunities to be a social media influencer and to be a brand rep and so on and so forth because it's something that corporate america celebrates too right absolutely well and as i as i mentioned the piece that i was talking about was um dylan mulvaney who is this yeah broadway wannabe actor now is a you know, Instagram star was invited to the White House. Um, that didn't all exist before he became a woman. But now Ulta Beauty, this, you know, giant makeup company is championing him. And it makes sense for them because, you know, men wearing makeup is excellent for their bottom line. So, yeah, we can we can see a lot of reasons why kind of the capitalism side of things is going to be totally fine with this. Yeah, it's a whole new audience. I mean, it's a whole new group of people that you can make money off of if men exactly. start wearing makeup. And men, even heterosexual men, I don't know if you've noticed, or Dan, if you've noticed, some heterosexual guys are starting to wear makeup. But enough about me. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
they are. <laughs> and you know, it's just another yeah. No, it's not just for it's not just for Marilyn Manson and you know, Boy George. Well, I don't know if Boy George was heterosexual, but uh, actually he wasn't. But 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 yes, the, the whole. I mean, speak to that, uh, Carmel. That the whole feminization of men that I mean because it, it's sort of hard to believe wait a second because women are being celebrated and or some and some boys who are transitioning to girls get you know status as a social media influencer or a contract to rep Tiffany or something you're gonna have young boys moving in mass to be girls that doesn't seem possible so maybe we're blowing this out of proportion somebody might say yeah well I mean the thing the piece that's important to keep in mind is that transgenderism as a um, as a phenomenon, is an incredibly small slice of the population throughout history. Um, Abigail Schreier reported this back in 2020 in her book *Irreversible Damage*. Um, the number of people who were trans prior to maybe a decade ago was less than 0.01 percent of the population. It's just it's almost non-existent. Um, now in 2022. It's about 5% of the U.S. population who are identified as transgender or non-binary. And so that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a math person, but that, I know that that is a huge increase. Um, yeah, I think right. anybody can see that. So what we have to start asking is why is there that increase? And then I think we have to expect that it's not just one cause anymore. Like prior to recent decades, what caused men to be trans? transgender or you know have gender dysphoria was a, a, a very particular kind of confusion um now it, it's not like that confusion has just become more prevalent human nature has not changed so we have to look at what the other incentives might be and obviously there are still there's still that slice of the population that is very confused and i think we can agree that even like dylan Mulvaney, he's there's something that is not, um, you know, not totally right if he's thinking that his best opportunity in life is to become a woman. But are there other things that are pushing him in that direction too? Are there things that are helping move um, move the ball forward? And I think that the feminization of our culture is one of those things. Yeah, I, it seems like, I mean, there's a, there's a few things at play. Five percent, so, I mean, so that's, you know, that's, 16, 17 million people. That's not an inconsequential number of people. One is not an inconsequential number of people because there's a medical issue. How do we treat people that have uh, gender dysphoria or other uh, ailments? And as that, that woman who spoke to the Florida Medical Board said, you're treating a mental health issue with, with physical surgery, with changing people's you know, physical composition rather than addressing the mental health issue. I think that's a really salient point. And then there's the other thing. That then, then there's what this exposes about our society, about the financial incentives for the medical community that see this as a multi-billion dollar industry and only growing as the uh, celebration of this becomes more pronounced. Uh, and then there's the, the issue of the state's relationship to the family. And if you think it doesn't matter because you don't have a trans kid or because you're trans affirming or whatever, you're giving state power that will not be limited to this narrow issue. So just think about that when it comes to, you know, your family writ large, not just in this narrow sense. Absolutely. Well, and I think the the timing of this happening and the location of this happening in a very Western, um, you know, capitalist country and not to devalue those things at all, but it, it is a particularly um, 
capitalist response to transgenderism that we're seeing, that it's, it's this acquisitiveness um, where, you know, I, men are being celebrated for, you know, you have to have the surgery, you have to have the wig, you have to have the extensions and this expensive brand of makeup. Like the fact that these men are influencers on on social media is, I think, a symptom of that acquisitiveness. And so that's why when Dylan Mulvaney comes out and says, I want to be a mom someday and I can totally do that. And he's, he's expressing just kind of the extension of that. Like, oh, you know, I could have a kid too. And that's, that's another status symbol. symbol. Motherhood is something else that we, we celebrate. And it, it's kind of surprising to think about it that way because I think at least as conservatives, we see motherhood as being devalued. But there's a version of motherhood that is totally celebrated, which is the working mom who can do it all. And I think that's what we're seeing um, these transgender people kind of speaking after is, Oh, you know, I can, I can add a kid onto my life. No big deal. We'll do surrogacy. We'll do, you know, whatever (laughs) to make that happen. Yeah, you can say motherhood when it pertains to transgenders, but for me, I'm just a parenting person, <laughs> the or a birthing right, person, right, birthing exactly. person, yeah. a birthing person. The the version of womanhood or motherhood that's that's celebrated is the one where mom is a dad. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, okay, uh, sure. Uh, Carmel Richardson, contributing editor at the American Conservative, check out her piece. Uh, Boys just want to be girls. Carmel Richardson, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, y'all. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's morning answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, the answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, uh, Fed Chairman Jay Powell ended that October market rally on Wednesday, didn't he? And it wasn't with his deeds, or the Fed's deeds. It was with his words. The 75 basis point interest rate hike was anticipated, and that's what transpired. But it was what Jay Powell had to say about the future that roiled the markets. Uh, Charles Payne from Fox Business explaining. His job is so insurmountable. He knows he's going to become a public villain. There's nothing he can do. He's fighting a monster that was created under the guise of free money. Modern monetary theory. Free money cures everything, right? It was gender justice, environmental justice, racial justice. All it's done now is made the poorest Americans poorer. And ironically, Jay Powell's saying he's gone after excessive savings. Poor people don't have excessive savings. It's going to be a tough ride. It's going to be a tough ride. Hunker down. October jobs number, 261,000 new jobs. Unemployment rate ticks up to 3.7%. What does it all mean? That's why we enlist people like James Perry, Vice President of Research, uh, Vice President, I should say, for Arbor Research, who joins us now. Jim, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, does Charles Payne have uh, the read on Powell's pronouncements right? Yeah, I think he is. I like Charles. I think he's a, a good journalist, and I think he's um, he points out the right issues, you know. And so, so the the takeaway from Powell's remarks is that it's going to be a rougher ride. That we're not going to see 
a necessarily a flattening of the increases in the near term because clearly he believes that inflation hasn't been tamed and there's more pain to be inflicted. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of press, obviously, around uh, the Fed meetings uh, consistently for, for this particular period. But, you know, the, the, the takeaway, as you mentioned before we started here, is that uh, Powell was very clear on his objective. And, you know, rather than just putting an opinion on it, I'll just give you a couple of quotes. You know, he said it is very premature to be thinking about pausing interest rate hikes. That's a quote, right? He says we have a ways to go before policy is restrictive. Uh, and he's very worried about the demand in the economy outstripping supply, and that's where you got this non-farm payroll number today. It's 261,000 new jobs this month, and last month was revised to over 300, right? So this actually makes Powell's job easier, right? It's uh, less pressure on him to hike when he kind of says that the demand in the economy and, and the jobs market is is out of balance. So is that a, is that what the feds need to see in order to stop raising interest rates? Uh, I think what what we're going to need to see is a consistent decrease in consumer prices. And we have not seen that yet. And the only way to do that is to slow demand. Uh, the unemployment rate did tick up to 3.7% from 3.5, but that's still really, you know, historically quite low. Um, and he was talking about sort of the number of people that are, there's, there's job openings and there's job seekers, right? And job openings are running at something like, you know, 10 million help wanted ads versus sort of 2 million people seeking jobs. So that's really, those are extreme numbers. And, um, He's going to have to see that come down before he's going to pause. Well, are, are we still uh, are too many of us still operating under the uh, Phillips curve here that uh, employment or unemployment and inflation have a inverse relationship that you got to choose one? I thought that was debunked by the seven fat years under Reagan. So why, why do we have to have a high unemployment in order to feel comfortable about taming inflation and reducing rates? Right. I think the Phillips curve did have its heyday back in the day. But I think that, you know, like so much of the data that we get these days, Dan, you know, it's been so skewed with the pandemic. I mean, you know, you've had these tremendous swings in the economy. Um, in 2019, before the pandemic, in the fourth quarter, you know, the Fed did QE4, right? That was QE infinity where they started buying bills. And that was because the market almost broke down in the fourth quarter of 2019. And then the pandemic hit. So we went from tremendous stimulus to even more stimulus as the economy collapsed. And then the government printed $10 trillion, you know, in the last 24 months. And all of the metrics that we have for employment and inflation, really, the Fed doesn't know how to interpret all this data. You know, the, the non-farm payroll number is is a highly inaccurate economic number, and it's treated as if we have a pinpoint precision on where the economy is going. We don't, right? Right, right but, um, but, we, but we do know something. We know some things about human nature. We do know some things, uh, the... The profession of economic uh, economics has given us some things like people respond to incentives. And so 
right. you have a wealth you have a wealth effect and you have a negative wealth effect. If three quarters of the people in this country think the economy is in recession, which according to polling they do, then you're going to see them start to tighten up. Um, right. And and so so you know doesn't if maybe we need the mystics at the Fed and the spendthrifts in Congress to just stop and stay out of the way and let uh, a free people uh, correct this problem by acting rationally in in response to incentives presented. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, the problem is, you know, the Fed's probably feeling like they screwed up because they didn't start tightening when interest rates were at zero, you know, last year. I saw something this morning, Wells Fargo, which is one of the largest um, mortgage underwriters in the country, um, they have 16,000 loans in their origination pipeline for the month, right? And that number is down 90% uh-huh. from this time last year. Uh-huh. 90%, right? So people are reacting to higher interest rates. The housing market is collapsing. And I think that it will have a knock-on effect to the economy. And, you know, you see in the markets, Longer-term inflation expectations are back down toward 3% in 24 months, which seems implausible. Um, But until we start seeing some progress toward that 3% number, inflation is Powell's number one concern, and they probably are going to get to about a 5% Fed funds rate by the end of Q1, by March. um, So you're going to see see mortgage rates at 9%. Yeah, I mean, they're at seven and change now, right? Yeah. So you could mm-hmm. Fed funds up nine, another 150 ten. basis points, so it'll be up toward nine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but when would they start going back down, if ever? I mean, somebody told me, like, oh, it's going to stay 8% for maybe five, ten years. Well, I don't know about five or ten, but I think that, you know, the message from Powell yesterday was expect interest rates to get to a level, let's call it 5% or 5.5% by the end of Q1, and then have them sit there for two years, right? When that happens, though, you know, every time the Fed tries to raise interest rates to slow the economy down because it's inflating, the market reacts first, right? Um, this is an extraordinary set of financial extremes, and it's coming to an end as the era of cheap money draws to a close. I mean, the Fed's balance sheet was reduced by $50 billion bucks this month, right? This time last year, it was going up by $50 billion bucks a month. So I don't think that's really priced into the market. So my fear is it's going to be extremely challenging for the real estate market and the investment market, stocks and bonds, uh, until we peak out here. This is another another six months to nine months to a year, and you're going to have a recession. Uh, and the um, uh, the quote-unquote earnings recession, uh, as we're in it, in the midst of earnings season, the earnings recession that a lot of the uh, analysts for the big banks and the Wall Street analysts were predicting, is that is that uh, taking shape or is it going to be shallower than some anticipated? This earnings season that we're almost through with now has been uh, statistically better than expected. Um, the last time I looked was about three days ago. I think something like 60% of the S&P has reported. And it's interesting that the aggregate earnings for the, the companies that have reported was something like $44 billion, right, of earnings aggregate in the S&P. But what's interesting is that $33 billion of that 
was from energy companies, and the remaining 10 was all the other companies in the S&P. So the only sector in the S&P that is up this year, the only one, is energy. Every other sector of the S&P is down. And I think if you look at shipping and energy, those companies have been allowed to uh, expand their profitability because they've been able to pass on price increases to the consumer. And I think that comes to an end pretty soon. I mean, I think you saw this week uh, Biden would like to tax profits on oil companies. And it makes a easy target for them when their revenues in the quarter were $33 billion, right? So I think um, earnings in the quarters ahead will probably be negative. And I think if you get two negative quarters in a row, that will be the first time we've gotten that since um, – And so uh, you would be recommending that those in cash stay in cash and those not get to cash or what are you saying? Yeah, I've run a model portfolio here for clients and um, it's been 75% cash since uh, the invasion, right? March 1st. Um, I've got a 10% position in long treasury bonds, which isn't working out that well right now. I didn't think it would be uh, this persistent in, in the rate hikes back then. Now I do. Um, and the S&P 500, it's really volatile. But, you know, I think in a year, I would be surprised if it's at this level. I think it's going to be lower. Yeah, so this and this is what Jamie Dimon and others have said. I mean, that you could still see uh, you could see these indexes go down another 20 percent. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, Liquidity is getting drained from the financial system. And um, if you look at these, and not to be too esoteric here, but, you know, the yield curve, if you look at a you know, three-month treasury bill, right, it's, it's 413 this morning. And that is um, at the same level as a 10-year note, right? And two-year notes are at 473. So an inverted curve tells you that short-term interest rates are on the rise, and that those short-term interest rates will be enough in the future, perhaps a year, to reduce long-term interest rates because the bond market is expecting a recession. And the bond market's been right, you know. All right. I hope you were listening to all that, Amy. I'm writing it down. As you're, as you're, I gotta go your, cash. As you're washing your 4OK uh, trend towards. Zero. Uh, negative cash balance. Uh, James Perry, not not that that's funny. James Perry, Vice President of Research, uh, Vice President of Arbor Research, I should say. James, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton has a new book out. It's entitled Only the Strong, Reversing the Left's Plot to Sabotage American Power. And I wonder if uh, the book was inspired by perhaps uh, funding hearings for the Department of Defense last year when Senator Cotton had this exchange 
with Secretary of Defense General Lloyd Austin. Again, this is just a few examples. One Marine told us that military, a military history training session was replaced with mandatory training on police brutality, white privilege, and systemic racism. He reported that several officers are now leaving his unit citing that training. Another service member told us that their unit was required to read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, which claims, and this is a quote, white people raised in Western society are conditioned into a white supremacist worldview. A member of the special operations community has told us that they are being instructed that, quote, the U.S. special operations community is racist. One army officer relayed to us the words of his general officer who told him that the entire U.S. Army is racist. A midshipman at the Naval Academy said classmates are calling America a fundamentally racist place and that this sentiment is not contested by school administrators. An airman told us their unit was forced into a racist exercise called a privilege walk, where members of the wing were ordered to separate themselves by race and gender in order to stratify people based on their perceived privilege. One African-American officer disparagingly said, and I quote, the Navy thinks my only value is as a black woman and not the fact that she is a highly trained military specialist. Soldiers have come forward to tell us they are being forced to watch videos about systemic racism and documentaries that rewrite America's history as a fundamentally racist and evil nation. One Space Force officer told me that two guardians left his ranks in a short period of time. One was a young African-American who said that after the training, she would never have joined the military had she known that it was such a hotbed of racism. The other was a white airman who said he didn't sign up to be indoctrinated and filed separation paperwork. Mr. Secretary, we're hearing reports of plummeting morale, growing mistrust between the races and sexes where none existed just six months ago, and unexpected retirements and separations based on these trainings alone. And again, these are not my words. These are the words of your own troops. So I want to ask a few simple but vital questions. Mr. Secretary, do you believe that our military is a fundamentally racist organization? Yes or no, please. Well, I won't give you a yes or no answer on that, Senator, because uh, it, it deserves more than a yes or no. Uh, the military, like any organization, will have its challenges, but I do not believe it is a fundamentally racist organization. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Again, the book, Only the Strong, Reversing the Left's Plot to Sabotage American Power. Senator Cotton, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Do we have Senator Cotton? Senator, are you there? Hello, I am here. Sorry for the small technical difficulty, but uh, yeah, my, in my new book, Only the Strong, I touch upon a lot of the issues that I addressed in that exchange last year with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Yeah, it seems uh, like, uh, first of all, his equivocating answer after that punch list of anecdotes you shared is not particularly inspiring. But it, it seems like uh, the military is not a systemically racist organization, but but uh, Secretary Austin and others want to make it so. That's what it actually seems. Well, I think in many cases, Secretary of Austin is simply... Um, conceding ground to the ideologues that Joe Biden installed in the Pentagon underneath him, as well as those in the White House. As I write in Only the Strong, the Democrats have a very kind of fraught, mistrustful relationship with the military. Um, they see behind a, a highly polished and creased veneer racism and sexism and extremism lurking. Um, but that's simply not the case. It, it's just a statistical fact that you're safer 
in the military, for instance, as a young man or woman than you are in America's college campuses. Um, the military has long been the most meritocratic organization in our country. You still have racial minorities serving in the military at higher rates and at higher levels of rank than they represent of our population. Hardly a racist or white extremist organization. Um, I can tell you I served with blacks and Latinos as my commanders and my subordinates and my peers. I never once experienced anything like that. Now, it, it's probably a sad reality that Lloyd Austin, as a young man, as a lieutenant in the Army decades ago, perhaps saw some of that, just like Colin Powell has written that he experienced some of that in the Vietnam era. But I also think that it's a mark of our, the progress we have made as a society that men like Colin Powell and Lloyd Austin can rise to the highest ranks. And in fact, after that exchange, guys, um, the Department of Defense finally released the reports of its witch hunt for so-called racially motivated extremists, as I write in Only the Strong, and after a full year of investigation, found fewer than 100. And most of those were just ordinary criminal street gang members. Um, that's why some of what uh, Secretary Austin said is so disappointing. He, he knows that our military reflects the very finest among our young men and women in this country. But our enemies are watching this wokeness that's gotten into our military, don't you think? Yeah, there's no question about it. They see how badly the Democrats cut the defense budget whenever they take power. It's almost like birds migrating south for the winter. Every time a Democrat takes the White House, the defense budget gets cut. And they remove the hard-fighting edge as an emphasis in military training. Uh, you know, these progressive Democrats seem more worried about training social justice warriors than actual warriors trained to kill. And, of course, that should be the objective of everything we do in our military. Yeah, that, that's that's the issue. You mentioned meritocracy, and, and that's why the military, sort of like professional, for, uh, collegiate and professional sports, was ahead of the learning curve with some of the during some of the bad periods in this country's history where you did have racism uh, as a matter of law, Jim Crow uh, and segregation policies. But the, but 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 because of the the need to have camaraderie, to have unit cohesion in the military and in sports, if I can make that comparison. It was ahead of the learning curve, and there were you know, leaders that pushed it uh, to be ahead of the learning curve. And now it seems that these institutions are falling prey to the same forces that have destroyed so many other civic and cultural institutions in America. Yeah, and, and Dan, I think that's a very good analogy because the first major prominent cultural institution in America to be integrated, of course, was Major League Baseball when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. Our military came barely a year later in 1948, and it has always and ever since been a place where minorities can excel uh, because it is such a meritocracy. But our military is also the hardest and purest form of American power, as I explain in Only the Strong. These progressive Democrats are at best ambivalent about America and therefore openly hostile to American power, and American power is best embodied by our military. And if you have a, a strong, forceful military, then when you get a president like a Ronald Reagan, like a Donald Trump, it allows them great freedom of action. That's one reason why the Democrats consistently try to neuter our military. Well, let's talk about what President Obama did when he uh, went on. the. Well, first, he declared himself a citizen of the world, and then he went on this apology tour. 
Yeah, and I write about that in my chapter on Barack Obama, the most ideological man to become president since Woodrow Wilson. Um, he was a classic blame America first Democrat, even if he usually couched his rhetoric in ways that concealed that view. But all you have to do is look at his citizen of the world speech in Berlin in 2008 um, and then his apology tour once he became president. Um, as I explained in Only the Strong, he was a, a deeply ideological president. And I don't want any of your listeners to think, as so many Republicans do, that Barack Obama was naive or incompetent or inexperienced. No, he was ruthless in pursuing his ideological agenda to bring down the sources of American power. Uh, I want to get your take on uh, this uh, House Republican report that was released today detailing whistleblower allegations of FBI misconduct and politicization at the highest levels of DOJ. I mean, a thousand page report uh, compiled by House Republicans. I, I haven't had a chance to digest it all, but, you know, the top line is not surprising. It's something that people like Jim Jordan and others, uh, yourself included, have been uh, raising the alarm on for some time. So if Republicans do gain control of both chambers on November 8th and take control in January, what, what, what are we supposed to do about FBI and DOJ? Well, Jim, Jim Jordan is an outstanding leader, uh, one of my first and closest friends in the Congress. I haven't had a chance to digest the full thousand pages yet either, Dan, but I'm confident if Jim and his team produced it, there's a lot of solid leads there. But I can assure you, that both in the House and the Senate, in particular on the Judiciary Committee on which I serve, we will be thoroughly probing the politicization of the Department of Justice, whether it's Merrick Garland sicking feds last fall on parents who merely attended school board meetings expressing concerns about what their kids were learning, or the apparent disparate treatment between pro-life activists on the one hand who are singing hymns outside abortion clinics yet being raided at their homes using SWAT tactics mm. versus pro-abortion agitators who are vandalizing crisis pregnancy centers and in some cases firebombing them. And I'm not aware of a single arrest in any of those cases. We'll get to the bottom of the politicization of the Department of Justice under Joe Biden and uh, Merrick Garland. He is Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas, combat veteran. The new book, Only the Strong, uh, rescuing uh, uh, reversing, I should say, reverse rescuing us from the left, reversing the left's plot to sabotage American power. Senator Cotton, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Open my Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, it's that time of the week. Open Mic Friday, taking your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Comments, compliments, concerns, general crack pottery, we'll take it all. Anything get, you want let's, to get, let's get right to it. I think we should get right to it today. Let's yeah. get right to it. we got to get as many people in as we can, Have their say their piece on Open Mic Friday before Tuesday's election. Start with a candidate, Christine McGovern in Mount Greenwood. She's running for state senate. Christine, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi there. Good morning. I just wanted to let everyone know that on Tuesday, November 7th, we're having a big Rise Up to Vote event. Monday is um, November. Mon Monday is November 7th. Yep. 
no, Monday, November 7th at right. 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, Darren Bailey is hosting it. I'm helping him with it. We have music, free food, open bar. It's just a chance to get together to collaborate with all of our Republican candidates to celebrate the red wave that we are going to have in the Chicagoland area. Open bar at uh, open Bourbon bar. Street? You in know, Ash Bar. Oh, I was oh. going to say. I was going to say. That, you're, you're, that's, even that bar, as big as it is, that's not big enough to hold everybody <laughs> in Mount Greenwood that would be attracted to open bar. Holy cow. All right. We do know how to celebrate out here. Oh, All right. we, we do know that. And Christine McGovern, you're running against Bill Cunningham? Yes, I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell I'm... We've been working the polls, um, Herb Haybine and, and David Shepard and I, and canvassing with Keith Peacow. The momentum is there. People are frustrated. People are ready for a change. I am turning Democrats as they come to vote and handing them my literature of the difference. I have a comparison sheet, and I watch them as they read it, and they stop, and they pause, and they look back at me, and then they go in to vote. Um, so the truth is coming out. It, we have a fantastic opportunity to protect our kids, to protect our businesses. That's how I got involved in all of this, just the craziness that was happening. And you, I met, right. I met you because you were with the Reopen Illinois group, right? Yes, yes, that was at um, the Thompson Center. And then you decided, yep. I'm going to run. I love it. Christine, Well, Shanahan. I decided when, yeah. yeah, I called Bill and I said, hey, if you vote again to shut down our businesses and our schools, I'm going to run against you. And so obviously he did, and here I am. Christine Shanahan McGovern, Mount Greenwood, run against Bill Cunningham for state senate there, southwest side. Good luck on Tuesday, Christine. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, Bourbon Street, 11-7. Cash bar at Bourbon Street in Marionette. Darn it. I wasn't going to go. Yeah. No, I don't uh, know if I'll go. Uh, Mary, Midway. Oh, hi there. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, about an hour ago you were talking about how J.B. Pritzker and his goons were coming after your pack and so on. Well, about a month ago, um, in my local paper, with the Southwest News here, which shocked me enough, I, I thought I was done with Dan for the day, and here it says, Dan Pruff, and I, I can tell you the writer's name if you want. So he's going on and going, and he goes, and basically that you're a liar, because you had said that during lockdown, J.B. Pritzker's family and daughters were out without their masks, not social distancing, so and everybody else had the draconian rules, right? So he proceeds to say that you were the liar because, and you know how he knows you were the liar, Dan? How's that? Because he checked with J.B. Pritzker and his people, <laughs> and they said it wasn't true. That's good enough it was for me. The entire purport of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, nothing surprises me anymore. Thanks for the call, Mary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if You're you can't take J.B. Pritzker at his word, huh? Oh gosh. They're still uh, trying to pe- get people to go to this rally with Vice President Kamala Harris. Not a big ticket in Chicago, I can tell you that. Mm. Mike Clark, he's a Republican candidate for state rep. Mike? Hey, Dan. Don't know if you remember me. I met you down when you were in Lake Forest. But, I yes, do. I'm running in the 58th mm-hmm. against Bob Morgan. Mm-hmm. And could use all your listeners in the Lake Forest, Lake Bluff, Deerfield, Highland Park area to go out and vote Republican, straight Republican. Bob Morgan uh, voted for the Safety Act. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and for HB three four four seven to help the drug dealers to uh, carry more fentanyl. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure kind the, of a good uh, the, guy the, the, to I'm retire. sure the denizens. I'm sure the denizens of the lakefront would be shocked to learn that. 
Well, it's it's a democratic area, but they're all affected by crime and the schools that, you know, I'm getting a lot of support from the moms that had to put up with J.B. Pritzker's mandates. So we have a shot. We could use all the help we could get, but we've got to turn Illinois a little bit red somehow. And I appreciate everybody going out on Tuesday and voting really straight Republican because there's not a good Democrat on the ticket. There you go. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Mike Clark running for state rep against Bob Morgan, Lake Bluff, Lake Forest, Deerfield area. Dawn, Naperville. Hi. Good morning, everybody. I just You had Chris Lawson on earlier this week, and I just wanted to remind everybody that back in 2010, he introduced a property tax fair cash value bill, which passed. And it was it, it was a huge power that gave taxpayers the ability to appeal their property taxes and include short sales and foreclosures. That was huge. Um, you know, at the time of the market, you had at least 25% of home sales that were short sales and foreclosures. So it's definitely not the market now. The point being that in this market, if you own a home, if you're renting, the biggest part that you're spending is your property tax bill. So we need more people like Chris Lawson who, you know, they're, for some reason, they seem to be represented as the party of no you know, I hear that all the time. That's so, we really need to flip the switch. They're not the party of no. They're the flipping the switch of giving more transfer of power to you, the taxpayer. Yeah, the so party of yes, you keep your money. Vote. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks for the call. And uh, Chris Lawson running for Kane County clerk. So he's on the ballot in Kane County. Uh, Patricia Bonk is um, in Midlothian. She's a candidate for state rep. Patricia? Hi, yes, I'm a candidate for state rep in the 30th district. My opponent is Will Davis, who has been in office for 20 years. And I am running because I called uh, Representative Davis on quite a few bills uh, just to express my opinion. Left my phone number, and he never called me back. And I think if you're a representative, you need to talk to your constituents. All right, Patricia so Bonk, running for Will, against Will Davis. Uh, thanks for the call, Patricia. Good luck. Elliot at Wilmette. Hey, thanks. How you doing? Um, I'm uh, signed up to be a uh, uh, election judge Tuesday, which is going to be a long day. And um, when they gave me my assignment, they told me that they've got more election judges than they've, than they've had in a very long time now, which I'm not sure if that's all good or bad. They also say they couldn't put me anywhere in the Nutra Township where I live, so they stuck me out in Park Ridge, which is very peculiar. Uh, okay. So we're going to be there. Well, um, Elliot, um, I don't know if you saw Elliot. this. Elliot. Oh, I see. No, we do I'll be that. right Elliot. here. I'm sure you never get this. Um, Not ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, one person uh, per Turner Classic Movies and Julian Auctions one person will get a chance to bring E.T. to their home. Uh, now it's going to cost between 2 and $3 million, they estimate, to, you know, for the auction to get E.T. in your home. But um, I just wanted you to know that. I was going to spring for it, but that's a little bit more oh, than – I, I don't know if we're good enough friends for that quite yet. But anyway, I just – I wanted you to know maybe – you know, well, Matt, obviously, everybody up there has – is very very smart, very very educated. They're all billionaires. They're all the 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 elites, the yeah, vanguard. So maybe, kind of worth. yeah, maybe maybe yeah. you know. I'm the maybe. red. I'm the red speck in the blue sea here. Yeah, very good. All right, Elliot. Oh, Thank no. you for the call. Yeah. 
Oh, no, but help, but help. That's so bad. Uh, uh, you're coming home. Oh, no. James, uh, James Falakos. Yes, you're sir. On, you're on Chicago's Money Answer. You're running for Congress. How you doing? I'm running for Congress, correct, against Chewy Garcia in the 4th District. I've heard of him. Um, yeah. That guy? Who, who yeah, might I'm not sure. even run. Oh, well, But I heard that if that the Republicans take over the House, then he's going to resign his congressional seat and run for mayor to save He doesn't have to resign himself. to run for mayor. He no, I, to, well, he, he said, to, well. He's not going to resign. He's, he's, well, he thinks he's, he's going to win, so that's what he's saying. That, that, if, exactly. Uh, two weeks win. before he's announcing he's going to run for mayor, two weeks before uh, his congressional campaign. It's ridiculous. Oh. What's, so, uh, what, so who are you? Uh, this is a tough district, as you well know. So why did you decide to run? Yes. Uh, because I looked around. So I'm a small business owner. I have a couple of small businesses, a heating and cooling company, an insulation company. And I'm a little younger. And I looked around and no one was on the ballot. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how can no one be running? How can no one be stepping up against a far left progressive like Chewy Garcia, who wants nothing but bad things for you and your children? How is no one even on the ballot? So I made some phone calls, and this was a couple weeks before filing deadline, and they they slated me, um, and I needed about I needed a, a thousand signatures in a couple of days, and um, I, I I got them, and I was on the ballot, but I ran because it's it's sickening what's happening in our country. I, I come from a family of small businesses business owners. And everything from the crime to the corruption, I mean, the, the Chicago machine, is it needs to end. It needs to end now. And I'm not going to wait any longer for someone else to do it. I'm going to take this in my own hands. And this is going to happen in the next, either now or in the next several years, the Chicago machine will be dissolved. All right, James Falakos, thanks for calling us. Good luck on Tuesday. like the attitude. Uh yeah, I definitely like the attitude. Oh, by the way, I think I misspoke. Did I say? Did I say Lawson's running for Kane County Clerk? Somebody just called and correct me. Kids, Kane County. He's running for Kane County Treasurer. Oh, okay. so he's on the ballot. Kane County. Kane County Treasurer, of course, CPA. So if I misspoke, then I've corrected it now. Tom on two ninety four. Hi, Hi Dan and Amy. Uh, Hi. Ex- excited for Tuesday. Uh, I think the red wave is coming. I've uh, some reliable source in Washington that is excited about it and uh the dems are already setting the table for cheating especially in pennsylvania and georgia but that source says that we hit we're going to have an army of lawyers and poll watchers that are ready for it we're already getting ahead of it and are prepared for it so uh just excited about seeing the, the red wave and glad to see that the uh the, the rnc and the republicans are uh are, are ready for the for the same old uh democratic uh, Democrats game. You know, one thing I always say is that Democrats are horrible policies, but they're really good politicians. So just got to be careful of that. But I think we're prepared for it this time. I'm excited about it. All right. Thanks for the call, Tom. Will Skokie. Hey, how you doing? Uh, quickie question. In the debate that Fox had the other day between Vance and, and uh, Ryan, Ryan stated that Sisnick was killed at January 6th and as a direct result of the, the you know insurrection, so to speak. But that's not true, and the coroner report proves it. Why didn't anybody challenge that? Why do they not challenge this stuff? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. By the way, uh, Brian Sicknick's uh, mom is out with like commercials attacking Carrie Lake and others. 
uh, over January 6th. And, really? and, you know, you don't want to go after oh. mom if somebody has lost a son, but it is totally unfair and it is totally part of this mythology around Jan 6 that the left has created. This people died. I mean, you know, there was one person who died, but it wasn't the law enforcement and it wasn't a member of the media, as we all know. Um, it's, 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 it's sick. I mean, they, but they need the mythology around January 6th. They knew they were going to need it. They needed to brand all Trump voters as insurrectionists. They need as semi-fascists and they need to run on saving our democracy. Everything and everybody who disagrees with us is a threat to our democracy that we must save you from. And what have they done since January 6th of 2021? They, exactly that. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were going to say and keep saying, regardless of the facts. Uh, Mike in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Hey, Dan and Amy, how are you? Good. I've got some good news and some bad news. My band's September 3rd incident has broken up. <laughs> but I've got a new band, and we opened for the Smithereens last night in Milwaukee. It's called Where's Jackie? My new band's Where's Jackie? Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, Bob Buffalo Grove. Uh, good morning, Amy and Dan. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, Dan and Amy, you are scaring us with all your uh, crime talk. Uh, didn't you hear what uh, Hillary offered this week? Uh, you shouldn't be talking about crime. It's not a big issue. Also, did you see today's Daily Herald uh, front page story? No, and nobody the- else did either. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah. Tell, tell us what's in it, Bob. Uh, they have a review of the Safety Act. And uh, the misstatements, the falsehoods. So get with it, Dan. You're gaslighting your listeners. (laughs) Just kidding. Thanks for all you all you do, and see you tomorrow. Thanks for the call. That's right. Hey, what are you wearing tomorrow, Dan? For Freedom Summit, air we breathe. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The uniform everywhere. You know, pants and a golf shirt. Okay. Yeah. Casual. Well, Marcus wants you to wear a suit. No. Rich in Indian Head Park. (laughs) Yes. Uh, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I have a question for you. Is, uh, do you trust the polls that are out uh, on the midterms for the uh, House and the Senate? Or are these polls just a matter of who puts them out, the Democrats or the Republicans? Or uh, yeah. are these polls actually based on uh, early voting and uh, on a projective uh, turnout? What are uh, not all polls. Have a good weekend. Thanks for the coverage. Not all polls are created equal. Not all pollsters are... Uh, people of integrity, some, you know, hawk their wares to the highest bidder or to generate business, and they will tell clients what they want to hear. Others will tell you what the landscape is actually providing, what uh, the feedback of voters actually is. So, you know, this is why, like, the Real Clear Politics average is problematic on so many levels is because uh, it— it doesn't have uh, enough of a representative and there's a representation of polling and it's not there's not the quality control to separate the pollsters that have legitimate track records from the pollsters that and 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 do legitimate polling you like you essentially audit the methodology so you know how people run their shops and um, this is why you have a polling before 2020 that uh, Biden's going to win Wisconsin by 17 points no, nobody believed that was true. And he went, ended up winning by less than one. Um, nobody believed that was true. But 
but but it's reported breathlessly anyway. Well, there's been polling in the race for governor here of the same sort from Emerson, WGN, terrible polling. So, you know, it, you, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There is uh, legitimate uh, econometricians who do legitimate polling that give that gives you important information about voter attitudes. Um, and then there's the stuff that's, you know, agitprop for partisans. Bob in Wilmette. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Just curious if uh, if Wheezy Jefferson loses to Brian Kemp in the Georgia gubernatorial race again, will she, will she replace to... Roquan Smith in the middle? Probably. Oh, we used to... <laughs> <laughs> oh that's you know what I thought. My my point was she'd have to uh, concede twice uh, since she didn't do it the first time, but. <laughs> I, I like where you're going with the middle yeah, linebacker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only Republicans problem. are election deniers, right? Right, yeah, yeah right. Not Hillary Clinton or even Joe Biden now saying, you know, be patient on election night because we've got a lot of mail-ins, so don't, you know. As the as the Babylon Bee said, be patient on election night. It takes time to count votes twice. <laughs> Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. I love it. Hey, uh, hey. Big election result. Big big election result party. Tuesday night will be at the Thirsty Parrot in Lake Como. The D-Light Duo Band will be there. Thank you for letting me. What is, wait, wait, wait. What wait, is the wait. name of the band at the Thirsty Parrot? The D-Light Duo. The D-Light Duo. Are they a D-Light cover band? Yes, they are. Oh, so, I do uh, like and, D-Light. And thanks, for, thanks, for, thanks for letting me say uh, barmanusa.com on your show. And thank you for all your help that you've given me in my campaign. Everybody that's up in Wisconsin, look for me. It's the going away party. Uh, I'm, the, I'm, on, I'm, I'm on the bottom. I'm down below the Republicans and the Democrats. Oh, okay. Right below the thirsty so, parrot. Yeah, thanks for the, yeah. <laughs> for the call, Chuck. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-467. 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.